Thank you, Steve. I am hoping that the sun just stays out the rest of the day. All week we've been looking at that forecast with the storm and the rain, but we're looking forward to and hoping for a good evening at the Cove. But today, this morning, we are going to be in the book of First Thessalonians. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. We're getting close to being here at the end of our study on <clears throat> heaven. Now, I wanted to begin by giving you an idea of the two things I want you to grab from the message today. The first is, perhaps, if you're like me, you've seen one of these videos where there's a loved one, a husband slash father or a, a wife slash mother who serves our country, has been overseas and is away from their family, and then they sneak them back, you know, and the family doesn't know, the kids don't know, or the spouse doesn't know. And they've always, not always, but I, the videos I've seen, they've set it up where they're, they're facing a direction, they're doing something, and then the loved one comes in behind them, right? And then there's this sudden a surprise, and they turn around, and they're united, and they weren't expecting it. I mean, they knew at some point they were coming back. I mean, that's, that that's, would have been normal, but to have them there suddenly, and there they are, and there's this great embrace, and it's a great reunion, Right? Now, that's the first thing I want you to grab and where we're headed today because we're going to talk about something called the rapture. I do not preach on, I, I don't know if I've preached on this maybe once in 10 years, but in the Heaven series, it gives me a chance to speak about it and fit it into the Heaven series and the chronology of things that we've been talking about. But the second part that I want you to grab onto, and this is what I've titled the message, is surprise liftoff, because the rapture, as I'm going to tell you, is when we leave this earth and we're going to meet Christ in the skies, in the clouds, and there will be that reunion. And so there's that surprise part where I wasn't expecting it. Suddenly you were there, but then there's the liftoff part, right? And so I was thinking about when I was younger, especially when I was a youth pastor, I would take our youth group to these amusement parks. I used to really love roller coasters. Now, as I've gotten older, the last time I went, I struggled with it towards the end of the day. I was feeling it in my body. But I, I put this up here. There's this ride called Blast Off. And if you look on the right there, you can see the uh, <clears throat> riders are sitting there in a chair and they're waiting. And if you can watch a video of it, it would look like this. They get in, they strap them down. They know that there's going to be a lifting off. They're going to blast off. I mean, the word blast off means it's going to be fast, but then it kind of rises up and it's kind of floating like this and they're waiting. And there's this anticipation. They know that it's going to blast off, but they don't know the exact moment that it's going to blast off. But it's soon. It's quickly. It's coming quickly. And sometimes, I was watching one video where they're dangling their feet like this, and these two girls, they'd learn, they are talking to each other and laughing, I don't know what about. And whoever the controller is, they, they, they know, and they, they, here they go, and they, when they hit the button, and then I mean that thing just goes, kaboosh, up into the air, and of course they're talking, and all of a sudden, wah, you know, and a flip-flop flies over there, they should have left it on the ground, and it's going up into the sky, and they're blasting off. And I want to take those two ideas, and this is rapture. The rapture is a lifting off of the ground up into the sky, but on this thing, you go up and they bring you back down. You go up again, you go, you do this, but that's not the rapture. You're going to go up and you're going to meet Christ in the clouds. And it's going to be that reunion part. And we kind of know, 
If you're a Christian, you study the Bible, we know it could come at any moment. It's going to be quick, but we don't really know. And we tend to sometimes start dangling our feet and we're talking to our friends. And then we're going to be surprised. It's going to come and it's going to happen. That is the message today. And I'm going to take you to a passage in the Bible. We're going to look at it where Paul talks about this. And we're going to get from this some more information about what the rapture is. Let me read to you the passage first. And then we'll start to break it down. It's in 1 Thessalonians 4. I've got the the verses up there so you can follow along if you don't have a Bible. But Paul writes this, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. And I don't have this part up there, I think. But 18, verse 18 says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, I'm going to preach this message as if there are people sitting here who have never heard this. And some of what I'm going to say, I imagine you have heard. But we're going to piece together... Many of the things we've talked about this summer, and at the end of the message, I'm going to put a little bit of a timeline up there to help you see how all the things we've been talking about fit together in God's unfolding of our, of our future. Now, could you go back to the slide that had the highlighted word caught up? Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. Now, I highlighted that. I want you to see that because that is where we get the truth of this word I'm talking about, rapture. That is the word right there. And that's what we're going to look at about today. So my first point is this, what is the rapture? Well, because I highlighted caught up, I'm highlighting the words that it came from. Because the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in Greek. In fact, it was Koine Greek, which is an older Greek. And the reason it was written in Greek is because that was the common language of the day. Today, the common language is thought of as English. I mean, if you go around the world, it's the language that the most people speak. You can, even in a foreign country, find people that somewhere speak a little bit of English. And so it was written in Greek. And that's the Greek word for caught up, harpazo. So Paul's saying that we will be caught up, we will be harpazoed into the sky. Now, as time went on, uh, the Greek language, Koine Greek, became less, and Latin became more popular and the common language of the day. And so people began to translate the Bible. So you had some of the original letters of Paul in Greek, and they, be, they began to translate the Bible into the language that people knew and would read, and that language was, ra- was Latin. And that is the word rapio. So the word caught up originally, harpazo, was then In Latin, rapio, we use the word caught up, but it became known as the rapture. 
That's where we get the word rapture from. Sometimes people say, well, the word rapture, it's not in the Bible. Technically, you're correct. Technically, you're not. (laughs) Because it comes from the word harpazo, but that's where we get the word rapture. And it means, well, let me show you what it means. If you go to the next slide, it means to carry off by force. Okay, now those riders on that ride were not in control. Something forced them up. They're sitting there, and the hydraulics of the ride went whoosh, and they went up into the sky. So when we think of the word rapture, when we're caught up in the air, something else is acting upon us, and, and the action is going up. And the way the Bible describes this is we're going to be carried off by force. Now, I'm going to elaborate a little bit more on this in the message, but that's what I'm going to give you right now. Not only that, but let me just, the word rapture, just to give you a definition, and this is uh, David Jeremiah's way of explaining it. He says, that event, what is the rapture? That event being gathered to and received by Jesus Christ is the first of Christ's two-part return. Now, again, I'm going to build this as I go. Right now, I'm focusing on the first part. Now, if you're a believer in Christ and you've grown up in the church, you've heard that Jesus is coming back someday. And sometimes we refer to that as an advent. The word advent means God or Jesus coming down and it's physical. He was physically here. His feet touched the ground. Now, the first advent was Christmas when he came as a little baby. And at Christmas time, sometimes we put a little table up here and we have something called the advent candle lighting and the advent reading. That's where this comes from. The advent is Christ coming to earth. The first advent was him coming as that Christ child The second advent, he will come not as a child, but as a king, a conquering king, and that's in the future. But what I'm presenting to you today is that his return, the return we all believe in, it happens in two phases. It happens in two parts, okay? And we'll see that as we go along in this timeline. Now, that's what is the rapture. Now, I'm going to ask the question, why? Tell us about it now. So let me show you this. In verse 15, I'm going to read this again. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. And then he goes on to say that we who are alive, uh, and he gives you the information, but he points this out. I am, this comes from the Lord. And this is what I want to tell you is that why is he telling us this, this now, right now in this letter to these people Because the truth is that this isn't mentioned in the Old Testament. And when you read about Jesus in his walking through the Gospels, he doesn't talk about it in this way that Paul does. We don't get it that way from Christ. And so why hasn't it been mentioned yet? And there's this thing about Scripture called mysteries. And a mystery in Scripture is a truth that hasn't yet been told to us. And later today, I'm going to show you a verse where it actually uses the word mystery. But there were a number of mysteries. Those in the Old Testament, God's people, Israel, there were things about God's plan, the grand narrative of the gospel of bringing about salvation. There were things that they didn't know. They did not think that the king coming was going to die on the cross. They thought that he would be a conquering king and and lead Israel and they'll take over the other nations. There was a mystery aspect about that. You know what else was a mystery? The church. 
Suddenly there's this new thing, the church, God's people are the church. It didn't exist in the Old Testament. And as you go through the Bible, sometimes God is giving you a truth that's new in the moment that he hasn't given previously. And this is what Paul's saying here. This comes from the Lord. Now, why does it come from the Lord right now in this moment? And the answer is because there were some false things being said, both about the return of Christ and how we were going to be united with him. And so it was, there was a necessary um, aspect to Paul addressing that. And we don't know when um, God told him this truth. Um, it could have been when, you know, earlier in the summer, when we were reading about, Paul says he was caught up into the third heaven. Maybe there was something there where God revealed some, some things there in that moment. We know in Acts, uh, on the road to Damascus, when Christ appeared before him and said, why are you persecuting me? That after his conversion in that moment, that he went away for a while and was trained by Christ. He spent some time privately preparing. Maybe it was in that moment. But the key thing is this, that God revealed it to him. And there's an aspect that I want you to see that God is sovereign over truth. He gives us the truth in his time at the moment that he wants. And that's why I put here, why is he telling us now? Because uh, God's sovereign over truth. But let me show you this. The next point is, without it, we can lose hope. Look what happens in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers. Now, some of your translations says ignorant, not uninformed, but ignorant, just meaning. Not, it's not derogatory necessarily, but it's meaning you don't have all the information. But we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep. Now I have to pause just to make sure we're all on the same page. He's not talking about people lying in a bed with Z's above their head. They're not snoring. He's talking, this is the word he's using to describe they're dead. And I think it's a great thing that God in the scripture looks as death, looks at death as simply being asleep because it's not permanent. There's no permanence to it. We go to sleep every night. It's not permanent. We get up the next day. In fact, this word asleep, do you know what we have derived from the, the Greek word that we use today? Motel. Now just think about that. When you're on a journey and you got a, a long trip, you might stop at a motel, and what do you do? You go in and you sleep that night, but your journey's not over, is it? You're going to get up the next day, and you're going to leave that motel, and you're going to keep going on your journey. That's how the Bible looks at death. It says you're asleep. You're on a long journey, and when you're dead, it's not the end. You're going to wake up one day, and your journey's continuing on. That waking up is resurrection. So I'm just making sure we're on the same page. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Why? Why did they have no hope? And he gives a little bit more. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, though Jesus, or through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Now, this is what was going on. People were writing things, people were saying things, people were teaching things that were throwing off the church, the Christians in the church, I should say. And some of what was being said was, if, if uh, your relative died, they missed the return of Christ because he hasn't come back yet. 
The early church believed that Christ was coming back. They believed that. But then somehow, through these false teachings, they were confused because they thought, if you died, then you missed it. It's like if you're going on a trip. My wife and I are getting ready to fly back to see some family. God forbid. If I died, I won't use my wife as an example, then I missed the trip. I'm not going. And that was kind of what was being said. In fact, I didn't do this in the first service. This is the live stream service. This is a little extra. I'm going to turn over to 2 Thessalonians and show you this. Chapter 2. It, uh, Paul's writing, he says, this, remember, this is 2 Thessalonians, same group of people. He's saying, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you. Do you see what he's saying there? There was information out there deceiving people about the return of Christ and our being united with him. So why tell us about it now? He's never said it before, but Paul says, I got a word from the Lord. Why? Because it's to deal with false teaching. I got an answer for you. Without it, we can lose hope. If I had a relative die and I thought, oh my goodness, they missed the return of Christ, my hope diminishes because embedded in that is maybe I'm going to die and then I miss the return of Christ. You see that? And he's correcting something in doing that. Now, also, why tell us about it now? With it, then we live with security. That's the opposite, right? I'm feeling hopeless because of this. Well, now with the true information, I have a little bit secure. I'm looking down the road knowing, okay, I'm okay. Uh, and, and we get this in a couple places. Verse 15, for this we declare to you by a word from the Lord that, and he's reassuring them, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. And he's going to go on to tell them what happens. But he just clarified, we're left behind. Left behind by who? By your relatives that died and are buried. Your relatives are in the grave. You are left here on the earth. But Jesus is going to come back. I want to reassure you that. So he is giving them some security because that was false. Let me reassure you, you shouldn't be insecure about this. Do you see that? And then lastly, I put here, it's an encouraging thing, right? Because with the truth, why tell us now they're going to be encouraged? Verse 18, therefore, encourage one another with these words. The very summation of that whole section is encourage one another. Encourage one another with these words. You know somebody who's heard the false teaching? Now you know the truth. Go encourage them. When they hear it, they're going to be encouraged. They're going to be secured because you're getting rid of the false teaching and putting hope in their lives. That's why he's telling them about it now. Now, I'm going to ask the question, where do we see it in Scripture? Okay, where do we see it in Scripture? The rapture, there's two places I'm going to give you. I've thought through how to kind of give it to you to see how you can view it in the Bible. And the first is explicitly taught. It's explicitly taught. And this passage I'm giving you is the most explicit the best information around it is right here. And it came from the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4.17. I'm just going to read it again. This is the explicit teaching, right? Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord. He is explicitly telling you what will happen. And there's that word, caught up. Now, I've made a 
separate slide just to, to unpack that a little more, what the word harpazo means, caught up. And I already told you to be carried off by force, but let me just add into that a little bit that the fact that it's God and it's Him, the, the, the word force, it's Him collecting and bringing you up to Him, it gives you a sense of security knowing that because it's God in His hands, Satan cannot thwart it. I mean, do you remember the uh, story about Daniel in the Old Testament and he couldn't get his prayer answered? He prayed over here, and before he was done, the angel was there, gave him the answer. Then like a chapter later, he's praying, and he's like, where's the answer? It's been, it's been weeks. Where are you? And finally, the angel comes, and he says, the reason why it took so long is because between heaven and here, as soon as God heard your prayer, he dispatched me. And between heaven and earth, in outer space somewhere, or in the skies, I don't know, but between heaven and earth, I was met with a demonic entity that, that tried to stop me, and, and there was a battle. And I'm giving you that as an illustration. When we are caught up and we go from earth to be with the Lord up there, it's by God. Nothing is going to be able to thwart it. Now, that's what the word carries in its meaning. Harpazo, what else does it mean? It also has uh, a meaning to claim for oneself eagerly. Meaning... The word claim means, that's mine. I'm claiming it. Why would Jesus do that? Because he paid for it with his blood. I bought salvation for you with my sacrifice on the cross. The time has come for me to claim it now. And I'm eagerly, I'm ready. I mean, I don't know if you've ever bought something and you're like, I can't wait. It's on Amazon. Blah, blah, blah. You know, when's it going to come? You're eagerly waiting for it. And this, that's the sense of the word. I have bought it and I'm eagerly ready to bring you up and collect you to myself. Harpazo, caught up. Another thing it means to rescue from the danger of destruction. And now I have this, I think this has some uh, connection to what is happening on earth when he calls us up to him. But it has a sense of saving. The Savior is calling you up to Him, bringing you to Himself. And then lastly, harpazo, to snatch away speedily. Now, if you were to go and watch that ride blast off, you know, it's going up. I mean, you would probably look like this, you know. Your head's watching it go up like that. It's faster than that. It's faster than a roller coaster ride. I mean, when he calls you up, it will not be like this. It's not a cruise. <laughs> Let me take you to another place where Paul elaborates on this. 1 Corinthians 15, 52, he says, it's going to happen fast. Behold, exclamation point, I tell you a mystery. Hey. There's that word. This is another truth that he hasn't yet told the church or God's people that he's now revealing. All right? Another one. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Now let me pause there. What does that mean? What does sleep mean? Death. 
Right. This is seeing if you're awake, if you're staying with me here. It means death. And do you see what he just said? We will not all die. Well, pastor, I thought you said we can't escape death. We're all going to die. Yes, but recently I saw like this quiz, you know, on Bible, you know, and is your pastor like, let me see if I can get this right, you know, and it was like, Three people that didn't die in the Bible. Okay, well, you know, there's Enoch. The Bible says that he walked with the Lord and was no more. He didn't die. God just took him up. There's Elijah. Elijah, the fiery chariot, came down from heaven. He got into the chariot, took him up to God. And then I went, well, who was the third? And I was really thinking about who was the third. And I was like, I got to see the answer to this. You know, and then it was like, it's this right here. There, this verse some of you will not sleep. Some of you will not die. The third, I, you know, it's more than a person. It should be in the plural, right? Who will not die is the church that is present on the day Christ returns. Isn't that amazing? Some of us will not taste death. Let me come back to this. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. How fast? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That's how fast. Blink your eyes. That's how fast. It goes from here to meet Christ in the sky that fast. Now, notice it's not just traveling. It's not just the, the trip itself, but something's happening. He uses the word changed. Now, we, we had a whole sermon about this, about our eternal bodies. Do you remember this, how we're going to be transformed? The one time in the 10 years that I preached here, I put a picture of a transformer up here. Do you remember that? I want you to remember that. There's, a, there's going to be a transformation. And what was that? Our bodies now are perishable. Transformation into bodies that are imperishable. Our bodies struggle with sin. Transformation into a body that is holy, that, that's been taken out of. And so some of us will not die. And when he calls us and we're caught up, it's not just a trip in the blink of an eye, but it's a transformation of who you are. Same body, same person, but made better, made new. And then he adds this, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. And I even hear that order. He talks about the dead, they're going to be raised imperishable, and then we shall be changed. Now that's important because, I'm going to show you this next slide, there's a chronology of this, okay? In the passage we're in in Thessalonians, it, there's an order to this. Verse 16, this is the rapture, okay? Verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command. Now when I grew up as a kid, I always remember that with the word shout. He will descend from heaven with a shout. This translation says cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. Okay? This is his return. That's the first thing, the order. What does that look like? Well, we're on earth. We're going about our business. And as Christians, we all know there's, there, there's, he's coming back. To be a Christian is to believe in the return of Jesus Christ. Two most important things. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ and the return of Jesus Christ. We know it. We just don't know when, right? And we're just going, we're like those riders. We're dangling our feet. You know, we're turning and having conversations. And we know it could happen. And someone else is in control. And when the controller goes into action, there'll be a force. Okay? And what does it look like? He gives us a few things there. 
a loud shout, a command, which to me is the Savior. I didn't give us the words, but, you know, get up here. I'm back. You know, way better than Arnold. And then that was a joke. You missed it. But a trumpet in here we are on earth. Maybe I'm coaching a soccer game. I don't know. And all of a sudden, there it is in the sky. That's the first thing. Second thing, resurrection. Okay? Cry of command, voice of an archangel, sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. The first people to meet Savior. The unification of the bride and his groom. The coming together. The first people are the dead. Now, I don't know about you, but it's like when I go on a trip, and we're there, we're at the airport, and it's like priority boarding, you know, and then they get up, and they're going in, and I'm always like, they got a better seat, you know, probably better food in the front of the plane, those priority people. But this is a moment where maybe I'm like priority because you died, you know. That I'm, I, I didn't have to experience that. Maybe that's one time priority is, is better. I don't know. Unless you want to die, you get to experience that. And then you get to see him first. But I'm just pointing out the order. The resurrection. He returns the resurrection. Those who are dead, they go first. They're going to rise up. They're transformed, like he said in Corinthians. And then us. Then, the re- then we have the rapture. Then we who are alive and remain are caught up. Verse 17 He says, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And that is the reunion. And so we will always be with the Lord. And then we are united with Christ. That is an event. The rapture of God's people. Now, that's where we see it in Scripture. I put the rapture is explicitly taught. But I want to give you something else. Sometimes people don't see this in Scripture, but there's other ways. The rapture is implicitly seen. And I put here the seven churches in Revelation. Now, if you read the book of Revelation, which is about the end, the first chapters, John is talking about these different churches. And you read through them, and there's the church of Ephesus, the church of Laodicea, the church of, and they're, and they're, they're geographical places. It would be like me saying, Jigo Baptist Church, or Laddie Heights, you know, and, the, and that means the city or the village and the church that is associated with that. He's talking about these churches in Ephesus and the different areas. And he is giving praise and critique and warnings. You can read through that. It's a really great study because they're literal churches, and yet they also are descriptive of churches today. So there's some ways you can read that, and you could say, wow, he's talking about our church, you know, or he's talking about a church in that part of the world. And so it has great application today, even though they were literal churches. And sometimes he's saying, I praise you for this, and, but I'm giving you a warning because you're not doing well at that. And then you get to the end of the seven churches. And he goes into the next chapter. And John is writing from the island of Patmos. And the church is losing in the culture. Persecuted, thrown in prison. Christians are being killed. And there's a, there's a sense where it's like, where's God? Because we are losing. And all the churches, they're not, there's a lot of problems with the churches that we do have. I don't know if we're going to make it. And in chapter 4, he opens up heaven. 
And he says, John, I want you to look into the throne room of the universe where God is sitting as a reminder to tell you I'm sovereign. I have not fallen off my throne. I'm in control. And from that point onward, as he unfolds his sovereign plan, not once in the rest of the book of Revelation does he use the word church. Not once. He talks about the church at the beginning, which was that point in time. And then when he says, here's the plan, control room of the universe, and the rest of the book is about Israel. It's about how he deals with ungodly men on the planet and his judgment of that and how he's going to save Israel. There's going to be a great revival where they come back to him. Now, there's an implicitly something implicitly taught there that is seen. I want to show you something else. I didn't give this to the first service, okay? In 2 Thessalonians, <clears throat> Paul says this, Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come, unless the rebellion comes first, he's given some order, and the man of lawlessness, in Revelation we know that is a figure called the Antichrist, is revealed the son of destruction who opposes and exalts him against every so-called God or object of worship. So that he takes his seat and he goes on, he's talking to you about what's happening at the end. But he says this, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Now, what he's talking about there is a restrainer that exists on earth holding back the full potential of the spirit of lawlessness. And I believe that that is the Holy Spirit present in his people, the church. Jesus says you are salt and light. Salt has an a effect of killing that which is dirty it has a healing. It has a preserving power. The presence of salt does something good. Light points to truth and dispels darkness. And the presence of the church in the world has an effect of holding back the spirit of lawlessness. And let me tell you, when we are caught out of the world and the church is gone, that's a terrible place to be in. Because the greatest thing, this Holy Spirit, and his work is going to be taken out for a time. Now, these are implicit ways, but let me, let me move on. Where do we see it in Scripture? How does it fit into the timeline okay, of everything we've been talking about? Now, what I want to do is just show you a little chart. We're going to walk through it. Here's the church. Now, we have the cross. You know the cross. Christ came. Acts chapter 2, we have the birth of the church. Holy Spirit comes, and this is new. The church, it is the grafting into one, God's chosen people, Israel, and then now Gentiles. But the new thing is not the nation of Israel, it's something else. The new thing is the church. Now we are in the church age. How do I know that? Because we're here. The church is physically here on the planet, okay? Now, I, there's a big blank. And I'm going to work backwards because these are the things that I've taught through the summer. There's eternity. That is the end. 
We talked about the apocalypse last week, how God's going to bring to an end man's world, all the great cities. You're going to fold it up like taking a jacket, folding it, setting it aside, and it's going to be something new, the new heaven and the new earth. We talked about how awesome that's going to be. Remember my imagining? Again, God's prepared a house. It's going to be great. There's going to be people that I love that died that will be there. There'll be great people of the faith, people of the Bible I can talk to. There's a new earth and all the great things that are in the new earth. We talked about that. That's eternity. Okay, now working backwards, the next slide, what we see, we had a whole sermon on the millennium. Do you remember that? That is the penultimate age. And in God's timeline, His plan of things, penultimate means that which precedes the last. And I always explain it this way. If you're watching a TV show that has 24 episodes in it, the final episode is episode 24. But the penultimate episode is episode 23. It is the, the, the episode that sets you up for the final one. And a lot of times, in, if it's a good TV show, there's a lot of cliffhangers. You're going, oh, God, I can't wait to see how it ends. And this is the millennium. The millennium is a lot like eternity, but it's not quite there yet. It's setting us up for that. We talked about that. See that arrow coming down? That is the second advent. That is, we talked about the first advent where Christ comes as a child. Advent means Jesus coming to earth. Second advent, he comes as a king. He comes and he's here on earth and he sets up his kingdom on earth. He's going to reign for a thousand years. Now, you see that little tribulation. I am not able to teach a lot on that, but uh, a, a, an overview statement would be it's a seven-year period where God finishes his plan with Israel to lead them into that millennial age. It's a time of, tribula of well, tribulation. It's a time of hardship, God's judgment that's being poured out on sinful man. I am just blown away by some of the passages John writes where it says there's so many bad things going on. It's so obvious that God is there, and it says people still are so hardened towards God that they're going to curse His name even though they know they should be reaching out for salvation to Him. It's a time of great delusion. There will, a delusion will come over where people will follow away from God. Now, where are we? And that's what the next slide is, okay? The next, I'm going to uh, bring that together. I said church age, right? We're in the church age. But before the tribulation, and that's only seven years. I know that the length of those, that one's a thousand, this one's seven. But that's the way I, I put it up there. I should have made that one smaller. But... Show the uh, next slide. Everything that I'm giving you today, there it is on the timeline. The rapture of the church. That's why God's return comes in, in two phases. The first is this one here where he calls us out of the earth. And then it's going to go into, he's going to finish his plan on the earth, bringing a revival with Israel. But what are we doing? Well, I've already talked to you about that. While down on earth... Tribulation, we are with Christ in heaven. We meet him in the clouds. And you know what happens? Just like the bride and groom, when they come together, there's a great feast. The Bible says there is the marriage supper of the Lamb. A great feast happens. So we are with Christ, and there's a celebration going on, while on earth it's not great. But it's great marriage supper of the Lamb. And what else, Pastor? Well, I talked to you about, remember the sermon, our crowning achievement? There's a rewards judgment. 
After the marriage supper of the Lamb, we go into this judgment, not of salvation, because we're with Christ. If, if we weren't saved, we wouldn't be there. Everyone who's saved, we're with Him. We celebrate in a feast, and then He's going to evaluate what we did as servants down here and give us rewards. How did you use your time? How did you use your possessions? How did you use your energy? Did you build a life that was just about you? And it was just about uh, building greater opulence and, and, and forsaking others' needs when you could have helped them. Did you care about his church? Did you care about the lost? And we were evaluated during that time. Now, how are we going to end this? Well, I want to take you to um, Matthew 24. And where I want to steer you at the very end here is you need to be living like it could happen at any moment. And this is how I'm going to unfold this. This is Matthew 24. This is, now by the way, this is one of the, the greatest chapters of prophecy. I did my master's dissertation on this one chapter. I spent a lot of study on this. That's why I feel comfortable teaching on it. But I'm going to tell you that that chart that I just showed you with all those timeline events, there's some Christians that think it, it might happen in a slightly different order, but that's okay. Um, because the, the common belief amongst Christians is Jesus comes back, okay? That's the most important thing. However, let me, let me take you into this. Matthew 24. He's with his disciples, and they look at the temple, and Jesus says this, surely not one stone will be left behind. He's basically telling them this temple is going to be destroyed. Now just imagine if before 9-11... You're in New York, and someone said to you, these two towers are going to be destroyed. And you went, what? Well, when? How? How? What, what? You see that? That's, that's what it was like. Jesus said, the temple going to be destroyed. And then this is what happens. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will things, these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered them. That's a great read. Just read it, chapter 24 in Matthew. And here's what you're going to find. A whole lot of stuff's going to happen before Jesus comes back. Basically, in that moment, that's what he's saying. And you can read about it. The, the, the sun will not give its light. There will be wars and rumors of wars and famines. And there will be false messiahs. And, and he gives this whole list of things. The abomination of desolation. You're like, what is that? But my point is this. Christians have always believed that Jesus could come back at any moment. That is a fundamental truth. Now, I'm going to ask you this question. Acts chapter 2, the church is born, and they start their mission, and they're reaching people for Christ, and they believe Jesus could come back at any moment. Well, how can he come back at any moment if a whole bunch of stuff has to happen before he comes back? I would be great. He's coming back, but first, this this got to happen, this got to happen, this got to happen, this got to happen. And the answer to that question is because he comes back in two parts. The first part is what I've given you today. A calling out of that church, that's why you need to be ready, can happen at any moment. Suddenly, the controller blasts off. You turn around, there it is, the loved one that I, that I thought was overseas. You see that? That's the beginning. I want you to take those two things with you. And the second return, which I put on that timeline, is earthly. The first one, we meet him in the clouds. The second one, he comes down. 
and he sets up his kingdom. Okay? Now, as he's giving these uh, points that are going to happen in Matthew 24, he gets towards the end and he tells some stories. There's some other things he has to say. For example, he says, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Now, that's an important fact because there's a lot of people, even in my time, there have been guys that have said, I figured it all out. Jesus is coming back in this year, 1990, and then it didn't happen. And I'm always like, do you read the Bible? Don't give us a date. Jesus said no one knows. Now, in that time, he says, the angels don't know. People don't know. And even in that moment, he says, the son doesn't know, which was himself, which I find kind of hard to believe because you're all knowing. But the answer to that question is he knows now in heaven. He didn't know in that moment because Paul tells us that he divested himself and emptied himself. And when he did ministry, he did it through the works of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit uh, in that moment, he could have told him, but he didn't. He didn't know in that moment, but he does now. But the main point is no one knows. Nobody knows, which means we don't know, but it could happen at any moment. Now, Jesus goes on after that, and, he's, and he tells a story about a master who went away, which is like, okay, Jesus, that's you. And then when he came back, he starts talking about the servants. The master came back. What, what did he find the servants doing? And this one particular servant, who, who then is the faithful and wise servant? whom his master has set over his household. He found a faithful servant. Some of the servants he finds not faithful. Now see, there's some wisdom in the fact that we don't know when he's going to come back. Because if you knew, you'd procrastinate. You'd waste time. You'd dilly-dally. You might even say, I can have a season of sin because I got time to make things right. That's just the way we are in our humanity. That's, I think that's one of the, the reasons God withholds that. I was thinking about when I was in high school, my parents went away on like a second honeymoon. And they came to us and they said, we're going to go away, but the younger siblings are going to stay at someone else's house. But Kevin, you and your brother Matt, who was a year younger than me, we need, we're going to watch the house. And we were like in high school and we were like, yeah, all right, mom and dad gone. We got it, mom and dad, trust us. Now, we knew they're coming back on, you know, this Monday. But let me tell you, it was not like the first day we woke up when they were gone, we woke up and said, you know what? We need to keep this place clean. We better make sure we do all the dishes, you know, because they could come back. No, they're not coming back for a week. We got time. We got time. It changed the way we lived. In fact, Friday night, we called the, our buddies up. Hey, we got the house. We're going to watch movies, pop popcorn, we got pizza. You know, we don't need to clean up. We got Sunday for that, you know. In fact, let's have some real fun. Now, this was the 80s, and in the 80s, WWF was a big thing. And we were like, let's move all the furniture out. We put some of the furniture on the front porch. We did. The neighbors were like, oh, the elbows are moving. And we got all the mattresses. We brought them into the living room. And me and my high school buddies, and we were like, oh, DDT, oh, you know, it was a big, huge wrestling match. And me, it smelled like the worst gym locker room you could ever walk into, you know, but it was great. And then we got a phone call the next morning. Hey, we had some problems with the hotel. We're on our way back. We're going to be there in two hours. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, it was like 
sound the alarm. Get the furniture off the, you know, I mean, it was crazy. Mom and dad are on the way. We better, and that's how we would live. I'm convinced that we would live that way as Christians. But we don't know, do we? And we do not want to be caught like an unfaithful servant. Not that we were unfaithful sons, just a little while. We still loved our mom and dad. But we were wasteful with our time, really. And that's what we would do. Waste a lot of time. And we need to live like he could be back. The, in a day or two, we, how many people can we affect? How many, how, the witnessing and the evangelism, the, the discipling, the... Let's not be wasteful. And one of the greatest takeaways is, what are you doing with your time? And what do we do now? We live, where's the slide? Go back a slide. Live like it could happen at any moment. So we're ready when He returns. Father, thank You so much for Your, your Word. It's just, it's fun to study it, but it's, it has power in it. It has convicting power. And yet it's full of grace. And it reminds us you're a loving God, but you're also a God who is serious. You're serious about sin. You're serious about our stewardship. And I pray that your word would just um, reach out to us in a way that challenges us to think about how am I living my life? Am I living like he could come back at any moment? And maybe we're someone in here who's never even made that commitment. Maybe we live in a way as if there is no coming back at all because we're, we're not sure about it. And that, Lord, I pray that as we've gone through this series, we would see that the greatest hope is in the return of Christ, in the transformation of these broken bodies and an eternity with you that as we've gone through this series is just wonderful. And so I pray that you would continue to grow us up into maturity as a church and that when we live out in the community, People would know us for our joy, our security, and knowing what our future holds. And we might impact them. I lift this up in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand up. We'll finish as we worship together.